Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep, "The Red Wheelbarrow," by William Carlos Williams. Uh, this is first published in a book called Spring and All. Uh, not Spring and Fall, but Spring and All uh, in 1923 under the title XXII, a.k.a. 22. Um, actually, it doesn't have a title in that book. It's just XXII. People call it the Red Wheelbarrow. Um, and I, I assume that I first heard about this poem through my mom. Um, it's a poem so short that I think it's like 16 words. It's so short you can rem remember it and recite it. Um, I didn't know how it looked on the page. Uh, I just knew it from the sound, right? The sounds coming out of a person's mouth. Um, so I didn't know, for example, that it doesn't have any capitalization or punctuation or how the stanzas were separated. And, uh, I think Seeing it on the page um, makes it even more interesting. Uh, it's another way of looking at it. Um, how did you first hear about this famous, famous poem? I'm not sure how I first heard about it, because it is, it's in school collections, and I may well have encountered it and not had anyone attend to it, nor I attended to it myself. But I remember um, in graduate school, um, I don't study poetry all that much, but I took a, a course in modern American literature, and Tom Whitaker, who uh, later became the chairman of the English department at Yale, uh, had us reading uh, the whole the collected works of Williams, and this is one of the poems uh, he stopped on, and he gave an interpretation of it that was so striking that even had I not at that time in my life been well attuned to poetry as I was by then, um, I would never have forgotten it. Hmm. But I won't tell you that interpretation yet. Okay. I've got, I've got a, a story uh, as to what's going on in it as well. But I just think um, it, it's amazing that this poem, which is very simple, um, is so striking. Um you know, I, I actually teach poetry um, because it's on provincial exams, so parents want want uh, their kids to be able to get a good mark in it, right? So I'm teaching them all the vocabulary of, you know, poetic devices and teaching them how to write poems and how to deconstruct poems and, and how to use poetic language in their essay writing to make their marks go up. But... Um, I don't think that that fully can like all the tools and uh, points of view of examining poetry. I don't think fully captures why that the why this particular poem is so outstanding in a, in a book of many poems. Right, this is the one that oh, I've never heard of William Carlos Williams except as author of this poem. So ah uh, well, so why why is this poem so powerful? Well, I have heard of him in other contexts, but uh, and I have taught poetry. I didn't, you know, as a youngster, I didn't, but eventually I came to like it myself. Um, but I, I think, in part, the answer to your question is um, 
things get anthologized because they've been anthologized. That's true. When something is famous and you're putting together an anthology to sell to schools, as an editor, if you'll leave out the things that are most famous, when the publisher sends the, uh, the table of contents out for review, the reviewers will say, how could the editor not have included this? Yes. So I, I think part of your answer is it just worked out that way. But it didn't work out that way because it's a bad poem and eventually people rejected it. It's a wonderful poem. And I think, if you don't mind, um, maybe I could read it once. It's so short we could read it a number of times. Indeed. Uh, I, th I think there's a lot here. But what makes it so wonderful is that it doesn't actually seem... Well, it doesn't seem hard at all. No. It seems calm and wise. Mm-hmm. So much depends upon a red wheel barrow glazed with rain water beside the white chickens. <laughs> the way you're saying it, it, it sounds like it's weighty. The way I read it is, so much depends upon a red wheelbarrow glazed with rainwater beside the white chickens. <laughs> and I, I, well, I, 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 that's how I had it from when I was a youth. And it's still how I picture it in my head. Yep. I'm going to try to change that. Good. Let me point out that, uh, that Williams was a physician. Um, he wrote mostly short poems. He let them sit for a long time before he gathered them together. Um, and he was known as, in fact, uh, this is in the 1920s when this poem came out. Um, he was known as a real bedside doctor. He's the kind of guy who made house calls. Mm -hmm. um, he was a pediatrician. He watched children die. He was thought of as a strong, supportive, empathetic individual. And so when I say that this poem has always seemed to me sort of wise and, and understanding of the world, there's a calm there. This is what you would want in your doctor, the one who comes to your bedside. And for a long time, people thought, as you probably know, that um, maybe this poem was inspired by him uh, trying to comfort a child who died. I mean, the family of a child who died, mm. uh, which for me raises the whole question of why do we even care what inspired it? Mm. It doesn't seem to ask us, figure out what inspired me. Right. But, but maybe we should. And, and, and the... The poem, um, I hope people can picture it or, or, or take a look at it online mm -hmm. as we discuss it. The poem is, it's called free verse, which basically means, you know, it feels poetic, but there's no rhyme or meter to it mm -hmm. or anything. It's, just, you know, that's what it means. That is an error. This is not free verse at all. It is highly structured. The poem has four sections of four words each. The four by four makes 16. Mm -hmm. It's perfectly square. It sits comfortably, solidly. The first section seems inflated to call it a stanza. <laughs> has, has two lines. 
so much depends upon. The two lines are four syllables and two syllables. The last section beside the white chickens has four syllables and two syllables. The middle two, a red wheel barrow glazed with rain water, have three syllables and two syllables. So just like a quatrain that has embrasse, a b b a, we have a structure here that's four three three four. No, there's no rhyme, but in fact there is a spoken solidity and squareness to this. Mm -hmm. Now, the way this is created, we have every one of these sections ending with a two-syllable word, upon, barrow, water, chickens. But the middle two, which have three syllables in the first line, require breaking a word in an unusual place. Mm -hmm. When you read a red wheel, so much depends upon a red wheel. If you stop there, what do you think of the wheel of fate, the wheel of the seasons, the wheel of time, the way in which things just are ground out? If you think of the Triskelion, that ancient Greek symbol of, uh, of human life going forward, three hips three legs joined at the hip inside a circle. Mm -hmm. Is that the wheel? Is it a red wheel because it's the morning sun? Or is it a red wheel because it's bloody life? Mm -hmm. But it's, in fact, a wheel barrow. Now, a barrow all by itself is an artificially made hill. It mm -hmm. was used by the ancient English, the Celts, for instance, for, for tombs. Mm -hmm. A red wheel it goes life and it's bloody barrow. My God, you think about these words so much more powerfully. You focus on them mm -hmm. so much more incisively because of the way this is broken up. So then it's glazed with rain. And I don't know, when I hear the word rain, I think of, of looking at the rain. Mm -hmm. You know, I think of rain you know, in, the, in the air around me coming down. But then it says water. And I suddenly think not of the drops, but of the collectedness of the rain, of it sitting there somewhere, mm -hmm. glazed with rain. Well, if it's a red wheelbarrow, I'm thinking of the rain that's perhaps covering the sides, the outside of the, the red enameled or painted metal, or perhaps sitting inside. You know, if it were an empty red wheelbarrow, there's there's water in it, and I look, and it's, it's glazed, mm -hmm. meaning it's slippery, and it also means, because it's the word from glass, as in glazier, um, it means you can see through it. Mm -hmm. So this life and death circle um, may in fact be something, and water is the passage of time. It's also what gives us life. And where is this red wheelbarrow? It's beside the white. Ah, so it's red versus white. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's passion or blood or fury or death versus virginity. Ah, but chickens <laughs> chickens are chickens are, are are wild no one can tame a chicken <laughs> and yet they are domestic it's easy to look at this and think I'm looking outside a window 
and I see, you know, it's it's raining, and I see, you know, the chickens huddling in the yard. Right, they're, they're right over there by the wheelbarrow. Mm-hmm. Um, so much depends upon it. Uh, why does so much depend upon the red wheelbarrow? Well, it's a barrow beside the chickens. I think the chickens are like like the wheel. Something. I mean, if you ask. What is cause and what is effect? How does life go on? The standard question is what came first, the chicken or the egg? Right? So, I mean, chickens are really pretty kind of powerful in our culture. Mm -hmm. But, and here's where Tom Whitaker comes in. Why is there a wheelbarrow in this, this yard by the side of the house where a little bit of the wild is kept there to sustain us? Why is there this wheelbarrow? You don't bring out chicken feed in wheelbarrows because if you then leave it, um, the chickens can flutter up and just keep eating and eating if they want mm-hmm. to. That's not what you do. You feed them on a regular basis. What do you need the red wheelbarrow for in the chicken yard? I'll tell you. Yard? I've been moving a lot of chicken poo around in my mom's uh, black wheelbarrow. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that's what Tom Whitaker says, that when it's glazed with rain, what we're seeing is the white guano. The, the white droppings from the chickens. And I thought when he said that back when I was in my early 20s, oh, my God, that is so silly. And it may, in fact, be silly. But whether it is or not, it is in perfect keeping with the story that I, I sense behind this poem. Because just as the chicken gives us both eggs and meat, it is both nascent life and something that serves us in its death its waste is what we use for fertilizer absolutely my mom treats it like it's valuable right me it's just something i have to move but she says take this stuff and put it in the bottom of these pots these pots are going to be filled with soil and that fertilizer is going to make these tomatoes grow (laughs) and everything gets recycled all the waste food goes to the chickens all the chicken waste goes to the uh, fertilizer. All the fertilizer makes the tomatoes and the cherries and the, all, everything grow. And it all gets used. And how do you move it around? In a wheelbarrow. Because you don't want to get down there on your hands and knees and scoop it up in your hands and carry it one by one. You need to use a rake. And you throw it in that wheelbarrow. And to me, the most striking thing that's in this poem is the absence of the person who is doing it, right? So as you you pointed out to this image of us looking out the window at the yard and seeing this red wheelbarrow glazed with rain beside the white chickens, so much depends upon the wheelbarrow, yes. But without the person there, it turns it into a sad story, right? Where is that person? You don't just leave a wheelbarrow out in the rain. It'll rust. In fact, maybe it has rusted. Maybe that red on the wheelbarrow isn't from paint, but rather from being left out. And the person who's absent, who's left it out in the rain, is the true story behind what's going on. This poem is infinitely interesting because it doesn't tell you you know, there are theories, uh, you go to a Wikipedia entry, and it says, oh, yeah, there's a girl who died in the... <laughs> like, right. well, 
Well, I didn't know that when I was a kid. So why was this so important? Because so much depends upon a red wheelbarrow glazed with rain water beside the white chickens. So much. All the things that we cannot count. So much depends upon a red wheelbarrow. You can't do your job without that wheelbarrow. But the absence of the hands holding the wheelbarrow, filling that wheelbarrow, moving that wheelbarrow, taking the stuff where it needs to go, going out and feeding those chickens, and taking away their waste. So much depends. And that's what I love about this. Think of what we're saying here. The, the wheelbarrow, this thing made by us, by people, is the central nexus for human life, animal life, plant life, birth, and death. Anything you can think of depends upon this. Mm-hmm. And it depends upon it, the wild and the tame. It depends upon it because we have created it and made all of these connections possible. And what this poem asks us to do is recognize that having created it, we've made something in this world, something for our world. I, I noticed in discussing this just a moment ago, you too broke up wheel and barrow mm-hmm. and rain and water. And I think that redirecting our attention to notice how much is important and entailed by what can seem simple is one of the great powers of this poem. This is a poem that says the reason for poetry is to make you pay attention. Yeah, yeah. So it's a poem about poetry, another kind of technology. I want to go a little further, though. When we're in school and we're getting short poems handed to us, <laughs> you know, in the seventh grade or whatever it is, mm-hmm. we are always handed haiku. Yes. Right. And this has a little bit of a feel of a haiku. It sure does. Um, right. And like a haiku, as I tried to suggest, it has a, a syllable structure that leads to a certain kind of um, settled symmetry. The, the settled symmetry for a haiku is five, seven, five syllables per line. And one of the most famous by Basho, who is a 17th century, he's a contemporary of Dryden, a 17th century poet, is often considered the reigning master of, of haiku, the way Shakespeare is often considered the reigning master of drama. Um, this is one of his most famous haiku. I remembered it from when I first encountered it as, as a young school kid. Crimson pepper pod, add two paired wings and look, darting dragonfly. Mm-hmm. Now, what, what Basho has done there, I'll say it again, crimson pepper pod, add two paired wings and look, darting dragonfly. He's turned the vegetable into the animal. He's turned something that's sharp in flavor into something that's visually jagged. 
the darting dragonfly. Um, it is a comparison that doesn't really exist in nature, but we make it so by our observation. It is the poet saying there is a connectedness in nature that is deeper and more interesting than we normally understand. Let me show it to you. It's about nature mm -hmm. and how we can understand it better by looking at it. And it's a great poem. And I think deserves the attention it has had through the centuries, both in the original and in translations. But I think William's poem is better. Because Williams's poem doesn't just say, let me show you something about nature. He doesn't just say, look, what came first, the chicken or the egg. He says, look at how humanity can function within nature. Mm -hmm. Look at how nature, not just of the, the vegetable and the animal, the pepper pod and the dragonfly, the, the guano fed tomatoes that your mother grows or the the eggs or meat of the chicken look at all of it and it's all not just an observation by humanity it in fact is the world that humanity creates if we go slowly enough to realize what we've done mm -hmm. and what we create are real barrows and poems i think this is this is a genuinely great work the fact that it gets done in uh, 16 words mm -hmm. <laughs> is stunning i have the mathematician in me has to note it's a perfect square built of perfect squares i have two amazing things to to tell you one i think is pretty awesome it came up came out of my mind the other one my mom when i mentioned i was going to do a show on this short poem she told me a story about how uh, she submitted a paper on this, uh, probably in grade seven or whatever, and she got an A plus. Right, <laughs> the teacher was Good enthusiastic. For right, and the thing is, is I, I I told you I had heard this poem from my mom, but I'd never seen it until I processed it. And when I processed it and took it from this page and submitted it to you, and I mentioned it to my mom, she told me what gave her that A plus. I'll tell you that story in a moment. <laughs> oh, I'm dying to hear that. I know, right? Um, and it is an amazing thing. But I want to point out the one that I made, and I think it's so cool. Um, this is something I noticed uh, when I read over and over again, H.P. Lovecraft's The House. It's a poem about a description of a house, and it starts in the sky, and as you scan down the page it describes the parts of the house going up to the feet of the viewer who's telling the story. So it's a scan line. As you read down the poem, you're seeing the top of the house and the roof and then the window in the top floor and then the second floor and then the first floor and then the front door and then the walk and then we're on the street. It's an amazing image. It scans down. And the same thing happens here a little bit. We start at the top. So much depends. And then that word depends upon the next word. <laughs> it hangs down on the page. A red wheelbarrow glazed with rain beside the white chickens. Each adds, each line adds to the picture. So much depends upon a red wheelbarrow. Okay. 
glazed with rain. Uh-oh. Beside the white chickens. They're there. Now I've got that picture. The wheel is the invention that we think of as sort of the first invention. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was the spear or the atlatl. <laughs> and we don't know what the first invention is. But what we do know is that whoever invented the wheel has a lot to answer for. <laughs> um, if you're dragging around uh, rocks and buckets of, uh, or even the bucket, right? All sorts of things. Dragging around rocks and dirt and stuff to remake the world around you. It's made a lot easier by having a wheel. And a wheelbarrow is essentially a bucket with a wheel under it. It allows you to move something that a human person could not move on their own as easily, very easily. I can move a full wheelbarrow full of gravel very easily around a yard. If I don't have that bucket and I don't have that wheel underneath it and the handles to hold it, that became infinitely harder. It is much harder to move that, move that gravel or, or whatever it is around. But once I have that wheelbarrow, everything becomes easier. It's a, as you say, it's a picture of technology in the wild. And with those handles sticking out, I'm like drawing a little picture right now, and the wheel underneath and the little thing, I will tell you now the secret my mom discovered that got her an A+. Each of these stanzas yes, yes. is shaped like a wheelbarrow. So much depends is the long top with the handles. Upon is the bucket. A red wheel barrow. If you're visually looking at this as we speak, you can see that each of the first lines of these stanzas is longer than the second line, making four little wheelbarrows. <laughs> So much depends upon a red wheelbarrow. Lovely. Glazed with rainwater. Absolutely lovely. Beside the white chickens. <laughs> it is a square, right? It all comes back. That round wheel, the wheelbarrow, comes back in a square four times. Amazing. So this, so this little wonderful wheelbarrow, or the square, the four square wheelbarrow, mm-hmm is a little tiny poem that is able to carry so much more (laughs) than one could without it. Which is why, even with only 16 words, if they are well chosen, there's always more to say. Thanks very much for listening. And remember... You can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio.